Welcome to episode 26 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We are coming to you after a Blue Jays win, which is what they have tended to do recently. Um, if you want to be optimistic about it, you could say the return of Yusei Kikuchi was a resounding success. And, you know, he, you know even the walk that he did uh, do was, you know, arguably one that he should not have been charged with. Five innings, one run, five strikeouts. Only through 67 pitches, probably could have pushed further into the game, but I'm sure uh, John Schneider felt like it was a good time to take him out when everything was positive and there was something to build on. I can't say that I disagree with that as a premise. A lot of other things happened this game. Alejandro Kirk was part of what seemed to be a hit and run, although we didn't get full confirmation on that. Uh, Bo Bichette seemed to run at a full sprint into Lourdes Gurriel Jr. across the field as if he was angry with him, and George Springer's elbow is balky again. So, Stoughton, uh, what of all of those things, of the grab bag of nonsense that happened in this game, is kind of digging into your brain at the moment? Uh, well, I mean, the, the Springer thing is the most fresh. Uh, it definitely, I mean, it, it caught my eye the way he was... Uh, uh, the way he was reacting to those throws that he made, uh, in I guess the top of the eighth, uh, he had to had to throw a couple, you know, threw a great strike to the plate uh, to prevent a runner from tagging and scoring. Uh, made another throw, and you could just tell that his elbow was. Uh, it couldn't necessarily have to be his elbow, but that was you know where the stress would have been in, in anything that he did there. And then you definitely saw very briefly before the the camera cut away. Uh, in his last at bat, uh, he really he really felt it, and then to hear you know to hear Dad and, and Buck talking about it. Speaking of, I mean, we haven't been on the air since since Buck came back, which is also wonderful. I mean, there's there's a lot going on right now, uh, but yeah, that one was real fresh. And to hear them talking about Springer being like, yeah, sometimes I'll be like opening a jar and it starts to bark at me, and it's like, okay, this is uh, that's some old man there. shit right there. Yeah. Like I, I I've never heard someone in their twenties talk about opening a jar being a difficulty. It's a problem. It's definitely a problem. I mean, we can we'll talk about all this stuff. But yeah, what about what about you? I mean, I don't know what I mean. Springer, I don't know if this is is if more concerning than any of the other like myriad Springer uh, situations. And the you know the Dan said you know it's just the thing they think they're going to have to manage and all the way throughout the year. I know people get get all grumpy when he's not in the lineup as much as 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 his maybe they think his contracts would suggest. But uh, that's just that's just the reality of the situation right now. Uh, and hopefully that's what we're in for more of. And he feels better. And, you know, maybe maybe we won't see him tomorrow. Maybe we will. Uh, you know, you're just trying to avoid the DL for him at this point. Yeah, it's interesting because it's easy to sort of forget he's going through this. We don't see any evidence of it for a little bit. And then it's you sort of t- talk yourself into the, oh, well, I guess it's sort of worn off. I guess he's kind of go- gotten over the hump with it. And then this sort of reaffirms that, yeah, this is something he's going to be fighting you know, for the rest of the season, potentially. And that's unfortunate because you want to see the best version of him. Like, he's a terrific player at his best. And it seems like this season we haven't seen that consistently, at least over the last couple of months. But at the same time, it's not like you can really rest him or send him to the IL either. Like, you know, even though the Blue Jays have been fantastic recently, they're just two games up on the playoffs. It's not like you can put your feet up and say, okay, uh, Springer could use some rest here. Let's send him to the IL. Let's give this a little bit more time, which, you know, if you were in the Yankee situation or Houston situation, 
then yeah, you probably do do that. Like, I, I don't know. Again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know the exact nature of the injury. Maybe it is something that a little bit of rest wouldn't necessarily help with, but it's a reminder that the Blue Jays aren't as safe as they sometimes feel. Like, yeah, if you go to any of these websites and look at the Blue Jays' playoff odds, they are very high because they think the Blue Jays are the best team not winning a division in the American League, which I think is something both you and I would probably agree with as a statement. But it's just a couple of games. You never know when a rash of injuries hits and bad luck. And like the, their margin for error isn't huge right now. So you don't really get to uh, do what you'd want to do with Springer, I think, which is give them some rest. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The Yankees or the Astros in those situations, you would probably, you would probably have seen it by now. I, I mean, obviously they're not going to be reckless with it. Obviously, it's something that they have to, uh, you know, and they might they might have to put them on the DL or on the IL. Sorry, if uh, if uh, you know if it, if it's a situation where he's not going to be able to play for two weeks, but that's sort of the calculus they have to make. And and so far they've been able to be like, okay, you know, rest here and there. Obviously, you know, he he rested coming, you know, going into the All Star break, coming out of the All Star break. That's not that long ago. Like it really is a thing. Um, and yeah, I, 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 it, it is unfortunate. It is something, you know, it won't necessarily always be this injury, but it does seem like it's always going to be something with him. That's just that's just the way his body is at this point. And uh, you just take whatever good you can get. But uh, but yeah, center field is not exactly a spot where, I mean, Tapia has played well, but they're, they're, not, uh, they're not super deep there. Although I guess you could probably say they're not super deep at a lot of positions except for maybe catcher. Yeah, it it would definitely be a tough spot for them to fill over a medium-term period of time. And when they made the Tapia deal for Grichik, and as an aside, Grichik's having an appalling season with uh, the Rockies. So you don't regret that trade by any means, but one of the things you could have argued against it was, you know, Grichik is maybe someone I feel more comfortable with in center over a prolonged period of time if Springer has to go on the IL or whatever the case may be. Um, they are in a bit of a tricky spot with that. So like you said, they're going to have to manage it. Just bringing, bring up the mood a little bit on this game. I do think that Kikuchi's start deserves a little bit of a zoom in because, you know, if you told me before the game that this is what you're going to get, obviously it's not outside the realm of possibility because if we talked about before, he's got good stuff. He's talented. Um, maybe this time off has given him the latitude to figure some things out. But it's pretty... Well, I, hope his, I hope his neck's feeling better, you know? Yeah, his neck was looking real loose out there. Uh, and, he, you know, he was never reaching back and, you know, rubbing it and stuff. So it was, it was good to see that. It was yeah. good to see his head uh, fully supported throughout the game. Um, no, but, he, you know, he, he pitched really well. And I think it's kind of funny because he did what people have just been calling on to do. It's just like, please, you've got this big fastball from the left side. Just throw a ton of fastballs, and especially early in the game. Like he ended with 57% fastballs, but at one point earlier in the game, it was way higher than that. And that's something that, um, you know, Danny Jansen likes to do sometimes um, as a catcher. And a lot of pitchers like to throw fastballs the first time through the order. But um, ultimately, it was still a very high percentage. And, you know, he, he wasn't messing around with the cutter anymore. It was, you know, more of a pure slider. And the changeup looked pretty good. Too. Like, I don't know. The whole package was pretty interesting. And, you know, the Blue Jays are making some decisions at the trade deadline right now. And it's weird to be like, oh, this huge decision, we're going to make it based on one start and how this guy looks. But sometimes it comes down to that a little bit. And I think that he probably put 
at least something in their head about that he the fact that he could be viable as you know as the fifth starter not even as a playoff guy as a guy maybe even leave off the playoff roster but he looked a lot more viable today than he has in a long time yeah i mean the tigers probably helped that but uh for sure <laughs> but, but but no i think you're right in terms of the stuff in terms of just like the release point stuff or you know i don't know what like, you can't tell from tv where his release point is necessarily but but you know just where the ball was actually going it seemed like he did have a better handle on that uh you know i'm not a catcher era guy for obvious reasons but like uh, you know, I, I would I would not discount the fact that Danny Jansen was back there, and the, that a lot of the time when his worst struggles were happening, it was when Dan Jansen was on the IL. Uh, you know, and, and Gabriel Moreno's trying to get his feet wet as a big leaguer while Kikuchi's unraveling. Probably not as as nice a situation as you as you'd like. I can't remember if Kirk was catching him as often or, or not, but still, uh, you know, Jansen is a guy where uh, you know the the organization's trust in him perhaps. Uh, Perhaps, perhaps uh, uh, by osmosis can can flow towards the pitcher. Uh, maybe that's part of it. Like I say, the Tigers probably part of it. But yeah, and there were definitely some fastballs that were that you know caught a lot of the zone. But it's like you know that's that's what we saw with Robbie Ray last year. And I mean, we're not going to go into that again. <laughs> but uh, but you know, when you're when you're that much of a unicorn when you're when you're a starter who throws that hard from the left side you can get away with that a little bit because these guys are just generally going to be off balance and that i think was always the theory uh you know he doesn't necessarily you know there were you know he wasn't not trying to pick up corners and stuff but but there were there were definitely pitches over the heart of the plate where he felt like you know uh, where guys did not swing or swung through them where it's like okay right like this this can work hopefully this I don't know if it's a message he had to get through his head or what, but uh, but yeah, it was encouraging. He'll need to do it like ten more times before I'm like convinced that, that it's not going to all unravel again. But uh, certainly better than what the outcome could have been. Uh, I'd say th- I'd say three. I don't know if you give me three more three more good starts in a row, and I'll, I'll be on board. Just because we've talked about the toolbox being so good. It is easy to get seduced. You know, he could come out in his next start and walk four guys in the first inning. We've seen this happen a bunch of times. But if he puts together a run that's, yeah, even decent for a few starts, you know what he's capable of even early in 2021. Like it wasn't long ago that he was effective. Um, Before we get out of this game, because there is a lot to cover outside this game since we last talked. And I know that people are going to want to talk about the ballpark renovations and that stuff's very exciting. I did want to just put a little pin on that play with uh, Gurriel and Bichette, which mm-hmm. almost unraveled the entire game for the Blue yeah. Jays, uh, a game they really kind of had in the bag, should have won against a weak opponent. I was just baffled by how far Bichette went. You know, It was actually kind of genuinely impressive how far he ranged to get to that ball and just the idea that that wouldn't be like, it was so clearly the left fielder's ball in that scenario. And I know that Bichette can call people off on the infield. It's not necessarily how it works when you're way out in left field. Like I just, I don't know. I found that play truly baffling. I know this type of stuff <laughs> does happen. Like I'm not naive. I've seen a lot of baseball games, but him coming from that distance at that speed was it was like there was just an extra layer of weirdness to it beyond what you see with those kind of garden variety mix-ups between two outfielders yeah no it's a weird move it was it was absolutely a weird move and i mean you're right just so clearly the left fielder's ball um 
Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I hate making big pronouncements about stuff like that. I won't make a big pronouncement about stuff like that or a play like that. Uh, man, it really got it really got under the skin of some people who are already kind of like like twitching when Bo was at the plate. Uh, yeah, it did. It did change the discourse in a way that, like, I don't know. It, like, that has very little to do with the fact that Bobachet doesn't necessarily hit as much as you want from a cleanup hitter. And yet, I saw a lot of tweets about how Bobachet doesn't hit as much as you want as a cleanup hitter. And those, yeah, that is a little bit funny because, as you said, it gives people ammunition to express their already held opinions. People love a little confirmation bias. Yeah, I mean, and it's you know, it's sports. They're not totally yeah, wrong like, either. Like, like, out of town, know when he, when it's bad, and and, and love him when it's good. I mean, I think the I, I, I've been around long enough to know that that's kind of how it works. Uh, but yeah, I you know, uh, we saw John Schneider talking to him about you know the the thing that was really the concern. I think got flashbacks for people was the Trulowitzki thing, right? And and you saw Bichette like uh, rubbing his his collarbone a little bit or his shoulder. Uh, the, the, they were speculating on the broadcast about you know whether he was. Uh, uh, whether Schneider was talking to him about that weird play or about how you know how he was physically, because uh, that's obviously something that just you can't have that happen. That would be that would be disastrous for him to get injured, especially you know that like an inning later. Uh, here's or, yeah, an inning later, yeah. here's Springer. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, what, what are you going to do except be like, hey, that's you can't do that. I, I don't, uh, I don't know, but definitely weird, weird decision making there. Um, you go, you know, you put your head down a bit. And you're, I mean, you can't really put your head down. You're tracking the ball, I guess. So, but like, it's loud in there. Um, I, you know, you can I can try to make excuses, but uh, that that does not happen. And balls get hit to that to that part of the ballpark quite often. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's an image that's going to stick with me. Hopefully, he's okay because you know, you, just because you make a bad decision doesn't mean you deserve to get hurt. It, I, my impression was that it wasn't that serious, but you never know with these things. Um, let's get to the renovation here. Cause that is the story <laughs> of the day. I don't know what else we can say about the boat. Thing. I mean, yeah, but... you know, I, yeah, I probably wanted to harp on it more than it deserved. And the renovation is something that is highly consequential to sort of the future of, at the very least, the fan experience surrounding the blue Jays and Mark Shapiro came on the broadcast. And one thing I thought was interesting is he was pretty blunt about the current situation. Like he explicitly yeah. said, if we have a good team, this is a fun ballpark to be in because it's packed and there's good energy. But if our team is no good, then this is not a good experience. And I'm surprised that he was as honest as that about it. It's also like, I don't know, you could really, if you really hated Shapiro, you could frame it as like, man, now we can't have a shitty ball club and be cheap because otherwise people won't come. But if we make a great park, they'll come no matter what. That's not the point of what he was getting at. But he, he's right, I think. I think, you know, we've talked about this ballpark and it's not, you know, it's not among the best in the game. And it looked like some of the changes that they're proposing would make it a little bit more interesting. So I guess I'll throw it to you, Stone. What was the change you saw that uh, you were most intrigued by? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think I wrote a little bit about this, but like just getting the seats oriented towards the, the action is so huge. And that's like one of the smallest ones. And I don't even know because like a lot of like the renderings were, were uh, like that was sort of the corner stuff. I don't know if that's going to happen because the lower bowl seats are not going to be uh, done until it's phase two. But 
but man, like, like, and I use this in the post that I wrote, like, like a, an image where you can see from on top, like, basically from where the press box is, of what the seats in the corners look like and how circular they are and how people are craning, like, what could because of, like, just where, like, just what the angles are. And in the renderings that they released, you know, it was much closer to perpendicular to the foul line. It's much more, you know, people oriented towards the ballpark. The sound will go that way. The, the you know, the atmosphere will go that way. It will be so much. It'll be so much better, like the 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 beer gardens and whatever the hell else. Uh, that's fun. Everybody loves the flight deck. Like I've been out there many times myself, and and, and that was a great addition. And, and more more of that stuff seems really fun. I mean, it's always, you know, it's always fun to you know be able to meet people at the ballpark where you don't necessarily, you know, you don't you don't just plan the trip and go and sit with them. You're like, oh hey, you're at the ballpark too. You can meet and, and like ma- making that stuff more accessible to people. Uh, Great idea, uh, really good, especially and making use of like underused space. Big, big fan of. I mean, you guys for one thing. The one thing is the seating, but uh, and I also think you're right about Shapiro uh, and, and his comments. I mean, it's literally the thing I say anytime people ask and talk about the this, the the building. It's like you know, it's a great place when when the team is winning and when it's packed and when it's not. It's like ugh, you know, uh, you hope the dome is open and you're not you know like just sweating up against a terrible plastic seat. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was at the ballpark more consistently, those Aprils were really a grind, like being at the ballpark every day in that dark pit. And I guess no one is going to you know, feel bad for me because I know that's a position a lot of people will want to be in. But it, it it has a really, especially when the roof is closed and if the, if the team's not competitive, like it is a very grim atmosphere. I mean, I, I think I would pick the sort of those beer gardens up in in the 500 level. Sure. You know, I think that, you know, they, they're not selling out the 500 level unless, you know, un, except under extreme circumstances like playoffs or things like that. So I think it's a great idea to have less seating, but have better spaces. Now I'm going to talk outside of my mouth a little bit here. The other way, I thought it was funny when he said, oh, well, we want to have like the best rooftop patio in the city. And it just happens to be in the ballpark. And that's sort of like classic corporate speak i remember them saying that with miami and they're gonna have like a nightclub in the miami ballpark that turned out to be terrible <laughs> at a very hard time imagining that was the best nightclub in miami i'm yeah. pretty sure it never achieved that similarly i don't think that these little patios are going to be the best rooftop patios in toronto but converting the 500 level which is you know often largely unused space even during you know prime matchups not totally unused but you know they don't sell out so bringing the capacity down slightly uh and going for a quality over quantity approach there i think is a huge thing and i think it'll be a cool view as well like the flight deck is and sort of an okay view maybe when you get down to sort of the bottom of it and uh you're just above the wall and that empty space there, that's a little bit nice. But when you're a little bit further up, it's sort of a fine view and getting to look over the whole ballpark from the top there, I think would be really fun to do. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think, and just, just being able to use that space. I mean, if you've ever been up there and I'm sure you have, and a lot of people here obviously have as well, but like going around the, uh, the, like you're in a tunnel there in, you know, in the five hundreds, but still like, if you go between, you know, the, the right field side and go to the left field side, like it's, you know, and there's just nothing going on there. It's it's just it's just you know hollow concrete. It's it's not it's not ideal. And I mean, that's just sort of a, a nook in the building that that doesn't have to get used. But to use it and make that positive space and turn it from negative, not not useful, not valuable space into 
into something. And, and I thought Shapiro was smart in saying, you know, we're uh, talking about capacity and, and talking about these spaces as we're not going to, you know, there's going to be some standing room stuff, but it's not going to be ticket spaces. They view them more as amenities and stuff for the people who are already there who have tickets. And it's like, yes, that's okay. I, li- I like that because making those inaccessible, making those ticketed is, is sort of defeats the purpose. And to have those as those spaces where it's like, oh, you can go and get a beer there. Oh, you can stand and the view is novel. Uh, maybe you don't want to go back to your seat, like what, uh, whatever. Or you go, you know, you go for a couple innings. Like that is, uh, uh, that I, and I think the, the flight deck, and, and I thought it was really smart. And, and, you know, of course he has, but like talking about what's worked in other cities. And that's, that's really important stuff too. Lots of people travel, lots of people see that too. And uh, uh, yeah, steal, that's rock and roll, baby. Like steal, steal all those, steal all the best ideas from everywhere else. So I don't know if they've accomplished that. There will be time for sure to like nitpick at what uh, at all the little details. You know, we'll see how these weird fences are going to play out. Like it looked like the fences kind of bow out into the outfield. Which I is- I like that though. I think that that's a feature, not a bug, because it's so hard. I mean, again, calling for triples to be essential to fan enjoyment is silly because it's a very rare play, especially in this game. But it's virtually impossible to hit a triple at Rogers Center the way it's currently yes. constructed, and even some of some of the more interesting doubles are plays where guys try to stretch a double into a triple. Like I just think there's a lot more excitement to be had in the outfield when you don't have totally symmetrical walls out there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, no, I, 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 I would like to see the execution of it. I mean, but also a lot of this stuff, you know, uh, you know, Tal's Hill didn't last forever. You don't have to, you don't have to be married to it. Um, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But yeah, I think that will add add some quote unquote character to it. I think they've preserved a lot of the character of it. Like if you look at it, it, do- it doesn't look like it's it doesn't look like the same place. Like if you look at the renderings, um, the renderings are also obviously like an idealized version of it. Like there isn't a bunch of fucking Rogers ads and and garish like you know like home hardware shit on the walls and and you know there's not. This stupid video board stuff screaming at you. You know, it, it won't it won't look quite as as ballparky once uh, once the ad folks take over. Uh, it never does, but uh, but yeah, I thought hey, it, it's I a ballpark now. What's you know? that? That's well, all the headlines were like, "It's a ballpark now." This has become a ballpark. I'm like, people are really latching onto this language. Yeah, uh, I'd wait and <laughs> wait and see on that before we declare it like that. Uh, yeah, but I I like it. I mean, it's a big swing. I like where the what they did with the bullpens. I, I like you know the, like having the the seats go all the way like that. What would they called it? The abyss. I think the 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 like maintenance ring that you sometimes see like you know golf carts driving around when you're in the stadium. You know, like that's now not necessarily non-existent, but the 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 seats are going to cover that and go all the way to the fence. That's going to be fun. I saw somebody was like, I don't really like it when fans can reach over and like touch a ball. that could be a home run. Yeah. I mean, I mean, anyone who remembers 2015, will probably have some problems with that or, or many other incidents in history. But, uh, I don't know. Also, that's a real, that's a real fun place to sit. I'm sure I've never sat, you know, properly. I've sat in the front row of those, uh, of where the seats are now, but uh, that would be a world of difference. I think, I, I think, I think there's a lot, uh, there's a lot to like, and there's a lot to be encouraged about, about what they're going to do in the next phases as well. Yeah. I think I, I came into it fairly cynically. Um, I guess that's common for most things I encounter in life, but in particular, I felt like there, you know, I said before on uh, last time we talked that I thought there was a bit of a ceiling on what they could do. I don't know if they've burst through that per se, but I'm definitely more optimistic about it now than I was before I saw this. One little detail that I want to revisit with Shapiro was 
him talking about how difficult the decision was to make it blue. Yeah. Um, that struck me as very odd. Uh, <laughs> the fact that, you know, the color green, which has nothing to do with the Blue Jays uh, or really any Toronto teams, uh, was considered, you know, blue is the most common color for Toronto sports teams in general, with the Maple Leafs uh, and the Argonauts. And I know that we've got some red with Raptors and TFC and whatnot. We don't have to judge what is more important, et cetera, et cetera. I think red still would have been odd, even though it's technically in the logo and it's part of the Canadian marketing, et cetera, et cetera. But, but it, it would have been very weird. Bosses would have been, been very fond of that, but that would have looked gross. That would have been terrible. It would have looked bad. Like any, nothing but blue made makes any sense to me. So the fact, I mean, I know when you have projects like this where so much money is being poured in, every detail is like focus grouped and, you know, drilled down onto the nth degree. But that's like the one that I wouldn't have done. It's like, yeah, so it's going to be blue because of course, because it's the blue Jays. Yeah. And that's what we've always done. It's going to be blue. Yeah. Maybe darker blue. That would be fine. But yeah, there's so many little, little details like that. I mean, like I, it was pointed out to me, my uh, minor leaguer, a uh, friend of the show, uh, a wonderful blogger with the, uh, um, Bluebird banter for forever. Um, Pointed out, like, they're, they're not just a mesh foul poles. Like, it looked like there's actual poles in the rendering, which is, like, okay. Yeah, you got to have that doink. Right? Um, like, now now that's baseball. That's baseball to me, the doink. Absolutely. It's a ballpark. It's not a stadium anymore. We're talking about a ballpark now. I will say, though, I mean, you know, there, there can be things lost between the concept and the execution. Like, I don't – I suspect that whoever made the stupid garbage hangar that the Rangers play in now – Probably didn't, didn't really envision stupid garbage hanger, uh, which just like immediately seems soulless and like a terrible. Decision. Definitely wasn't on any of the slides. Stupid garbage hanger. Yeah. I think yeah. I think they avoided that terminology. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it, it looks like it, it looks like it'll be good. It looks like it'll be real good. Real good. But uh, yeah, sketches and, into that too. Sketches and reality. Uh, sometimes there's a little bit separating them, but yeah, let's our official podcast stance for Blue Jays Happy Hour will be an optimistic stance until they prove otherwise. Uh, I think we should get to the bu- to Bucks return here because that was a big moment on Tuesday, and it was great to see the fans' reaction to him. You know, leaving the game. I'm sure he felt that you know, in the stadium. There was I was at that game. There was enormous response from the fans to him. And it's easy to forget. It's easy to let the broadcast kind of fall into the background. And in a sense, that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to let the game breathe, let the game speak for itself. But it is such a a part of what we experience when we're watching baseball, especially if we watch a lot of games over the course of the season. It is an enormous part of our experience. And Buck has been an enormous part of Blue Jays fans' experience for years and years and years and years. And I think you wrote that there was a time for the dark time of the Blue Jays that he was kind of among the faces of the franchise because he was intrinsic to the experience of fans and there wasn't a lot else for them to latch on to. He's truly a beloved figure. I think that, you know, even beyond the fans, like in baseball, baseball people, which is a phrase that's been weaponized in a variety of ways, but baseball people love Buck Martinez. Like if you are at batting practice watching uh, the Blue Jays and whoever else comes through town, the amount of people that are going to stop in and talk to Buck, opposing players, coaches, broadcasters, media, whoever it is, like he, you know, he basically holds court there because he is a figure that's just been so intrinsic to the Blue Jays over so such a long period of time. And 
yeah, just a big baseball, um, just a big baseball character. And it's, you know, it was very sad to see him leave for the time he left. And it's amazing that he's been back so quickly. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's a feel good story on kind of on every possible front. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, it, it's been great. I mean, I, yeah, I wrote, I wrote about that. I wrote, the, I was at my family, probably my longest uh, lasting relationship currently is but with Buck. Um, and like, I mean, and he, that's the thing. He has been around forever. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't always with the Jays. You know, he went to Baltimore for a while there, but he's had national, you know, national profile. He was doing like TBS games, I think, you know, managing the WBC and stuff. Like he is, you know, and he just knows everyone and every, and, and, and just knows everybody all throughout the game. Um, which I think is why the presence is just, you know, he, like, like you say at the batting practices and, and he's just, yeah, he's just a, a, a big character. And it's, it, it's, it's weird how, I don't know. He just, uh, for a long time, it does fade into the background. You do kind of just, it's like, Oh, that's just, that's Buck. There's, there's Buck and Tabby talking about home runs being rally killers and stuff. <laughs> it gets easy to like, to like double take on some of the foibles and stuff. And I've, I've had my fun at the expense of Teoscar Hernandez and various, various buckisms and stuff. But yeah, you, you know, you love it and it's gross. It becomes part of your life and it becomes, you know, something that we all connect with. And, uh, and yeah, obviously just incredible to see him back and to hear him back and to see the hair. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't feel right without him. Right. It just, it, it does. And it's, it, it's been, so weird to have it coincide with, you know, the team playing well and, you know, here the, the trade deadline's coming, they're strengthening, you know, their position in the playoffs, you know, things, it just feels like things are coming together and things are getting back to where they should be for this team after sort of a listless first half. Um, and yeah, that's great. I mean, I mean, it was sort of, uh, we were reminded in the, in the, the middle innings of this game against the Tigers tonight, like, uh, it, t- it tested people, I think, you know, it was like, oh, here we go again, especially after the shit play, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, they're they're in a really good place. But the Blue Jays are in a great place, you know. Uh, it, it, onwards and upwards, really. It's an exciting time. We're not quite, you know, uh, August twenty fifteen yet, but uh, but there's a chance they can hit some real home runs on the trade market too. Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't feel the same if you if you didn't have a couple get up balls sort of down the stretch here and potentially into the playoffs. And like you said. You know, there's been times when people, you know, in this call, people are listening. Both of us have kind of rolled our eyes at some of the foibles. But, you know, it, like you said, you have a relationship with someone over a long period of time. And, you know, you don't have to agree with them on everything they say. You don't have to think that every insight they have is correct to appreciate who they are as a person, appreciate the character. And that's what you get with Buck. And, uh, yeah, I think that. You, you know, you see it when the Blue Jays have a different broadcast for whatever reason, if it's YouTube or Apple or whatever it is, people are outraged or, yeah, or like whatever, like a national broadcast, like people hate it when they like people will rag on Buck and Pat, especially sometimes. But if they lose them and they're forced to listen to someone else, they are outraged by that. And, you know. You know, it's kind of like having a family member. It's like, yeah, I can rip on them, but like they're, you know, they're mine. And if you do, like you're wrong and they're actually the best. And I love these folks, uh, even if, you know, sometimes I give them guff from time to time. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And it also, I mean, God, I, can, I can't do math anymore, but like, but like well, it's almost like 500 hours a year. 
like three hours times 162 games. Like, like imagine, imagine how, doing that. Imagine how many fucking stupid things I would say. That's what I'm thinking about. Like, like to you know, when you think about the oh man, yeah, the, or the the verbal. It's thing. a lot. Like, oh my god, people would quite accurately be like, "This guy is a fucking idiot." We repeat ourselves like over <laughs> the amount of times on this podcast I've said as we've talked about and it's referring to like a different podcast we did a week ago like we're we're giving you guys less than two hours of content a week and we're playing the goddamn hits and then on the and then Buck says something you heard like 11 games ago and you're like oh god I can't believe he's telling the story again it's like there's a lot of content to fill here and I think they do a pretty good job. Yeah, absolutely, and also, I mean, listen to some other broadcasts if you if you disagree, because you'll find out pretty quickly. Uh, there's some blandness out there. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of vanilla in the broadcast booth um, across baseball. So you did uh, you did kind of tease, and I did not take up, and I apologize for that. The deadline segue, but I thought that we needed a little bit more buck time. Sure. That is going to be the story. We just as a programming note, we are going to be coming to you guys after the game on deadline day, so you'll hear from us with all the things the Blue Jays hopefully do. Um, just from a content perspective, it would be good to see them do some stuff. From a competitive perspective, they would be uh, advised to do some things. Um, Andrew Benintendi <laughs> was sort of the first domino today. There's been, you know, the rumors keep swirling. I guess I'll give it to you first, Stodens. What is your impression at this point, a few days out here? What is the gut telling you vis-a-vis the Blue Jays deadline in 2022? Uh, I guess the gut's telling me that I think a lot of stuff's going to go down to the wire just because of the jumble of sellers, buyers. You know, you're hearing about teams... You know, you're hearing about the Astros are, are going for it, but also are, are looking for major league talent and trading away controllable starters. You know, there's teams that are thinking about thinking lateral moves, and and this is really a new frontier, right? Like the, with the extra playoff teams, like you know, 2020, yeah, there was the expanded playoff field, but that was just such a different year that you kind of like can't compare anything to that. Uh, this is how it's going to be for a while, and teams are really sort of starting to to think out how. You know how best to not necessarily even just like approach this trade deadline, but how do you how do you roster build for a few years out? Like, what do you like like what, the play like the the playoff equation has been changed, right? Like, I mean, what success is different? Like, look at the Orioles right now. Like, like those McKinsey ghouls will probably sell, even though they're you know you know because the, they don't care about the fans, I suspect, uh, just based on you know where they where they came from, um, but. Uh, you know the Astros did that forever, but but I, they they absolutely don't have to. The Orioles could go for it, and, and maybe they will. Maybe I'm not giving them enough credit. I'd be surprised. I would also be surprised, but it, but it's. I mean, that's uh, you know that's that 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 is one unique. Uh, the, like that's the, those circumstances are unique to them right now, but in future years. You know, if you're, you're not a team that's like coming out of a deep rebuild and that you're kind of hitting earlier, there's going to be teams where it's like, you know, do you play for the third wild card? What do you, like? What do you do here? What? How do you play it? And uh, and you know, thinking about how to set yourself up for further year, you know, years down the road as well as for this year, I think that's big. I think that's really big. And then also factor in that there's all these other, you know, teams that are are kind of hedging and on the fence as well. I think it's. Uh, you know, I think Ross Atkins told reporters yesterday, you know, the prices are very high. You're going to have to pay a premium to do anything early. 
Uh, and I suspect it'll be a busy, busy Tuesday and that there's, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not sure that the market, it just feels like it's setting up for the market to, to not move until teams get like have to move, you know, why, why, why are teams holding, you know, why, why are the nationals move, selling on soda when they can wait a day and maybe get more? Yeah, I think that's true. Although the Benintendi deal, I think showed that yeah. the idea that the prices are astronomical and players aren't affordable, um, is maybe a little bit overplayed. You know, Atkins is going to consider things to be pricey that maybe if that deal was put in front of you or I, or the people listening to this podcast, that we would be happy to pull the trigger immediately. Um, because, you know, they're so invested in player development. They take a longer term view than a lot of people do. It, it is going to be interesting to see what they do. The, the starter situation got a little bit more intriguing after tonight. It still seems like you'd want a guy that could be a fifth starter slash long man potentially with some utility of the bullpen in a perfect world, kind of another boss stripling almost, um, just to give you a little bit of floor on the back end there. I think the thing that I'm really looking for is are they willing to go for the big reliever? And I know that the big relievers this year aren't as as big uh, to use the exact same adjective as they've been in the past on the past couple of deadlines. Like you got Robertson and Bard and guys like that who maybe aren't at the same levels or sometimes available at this time of year, but they've never taken that swing before. They've never done it in free agency. They've never really traded for a guy except kind of laterally with the Osuna Giles thing. Uh, They kind of need it. Like, you know, we saw Jimmy Garcia coming in tonight you know, is he someone that in a playoff game you want to be the second guy to your closer? Like he has been very good, but I don't know if he's quite at that level. That's the player I would think that they'd be smart to get is the guy that is the bridge to Romano. And I don't know if they're going to do it, but it would show sort of growth for me if they did. Like we're willing to try something we haven't necessarily put value on before because a lack of bullpen strength has hurt us in the past, has hurt us this season. And let's take a swing, even if it kind of hurt, like the Rossack and Shapiro brain is probably hurt a little bit, but the idea of giving up decent prospects for a reliever probably doesn't quite compute, but maybe this is the time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it depends what you think of Riley Adams, maybe, but, uh, but, but, uh, and, and, you know, they have not had, uh, they haven't necessarily had a ton of success with, uh, with their reliever acquisition. So maybe there's reason for some, some trepidation though. I think that, Jimmy Garcia has been has been pretty good. He, he kind of got past the not striking guys. I, I mean, tonight notwithstanding, though he was not necessarily at fault for what happened in that inning or what almost happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, man, if you can knock him and Mason back a spot or, God forbid, two spots, I mean, that would be that would be incredible. If just everybody takes two steps back. I mean, that's a big ask because there aren't, like you say, there aren't a ton of relievers out there right now, and obviously. Everybody wants, uh, wants, you know, nobody can't use an extra reliever at this time of year. Um, but yeah, I think they absolutely have to go and, and figure that out. And maybe there's, maybe there's just a, maybe there's a bigger trade that they can make that will, that will facilitate that and make it a little bit easier to, uh, to part with the prospects necessary. Cause I think you're right too, that a, you know, a second Ross stripling would be excellent. I mean, a second Ross stripling, especially who has, you know, some team control next year because they're, they're going to have to fill that role. I think I saw, I saw something this week about, uh, potentially giving, Stripling the qualifying offer. I don't think that you do that. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Um, you know, love, love what he's done. Lots of you know, man, go get paid, Ross. Like that's great. But I, yeah, I think that's a lot of money to tie up into a, what you hope is your sixth starter. Um, but yeah, I, I, obviously the the bullpen 
that's huge, and I and I think that the you can tell that it's huge by the the fact that like what Hayden Junger is in uh, is in Buffalo and Yasser Zouad is in, in New Hampshire, and these are guys who are sort of on course to maybe be able to help in September, because you know. Uh, maybe they aren't going to be able to get enough or maybe somebody gets hurt or, you know, you know the, the bullpen, not only, you know, not only does the bullpen like lack, you know, quality at the back end, you know, no offense to any of the guys there, but it's it just, it, it just lacks depth too, right? Like, uh, you know, once, if, if somebody gets hurt, even, even for 15 days, like now you're seeing the, you're seeing a lot more Anthony Ponda or, or Jeremy Beasley or you're, you're like, if once, once we start looking to see when Taylor Salcedo comes back, like that's a problem. Even Merriweather and Pearson who are throwing again. I mean, those are not guys you can, you know, you want to be in a position to be like, all right, well, that'll, everything will be fine once those guys get here. Yeah, I think if Anthony Bonda is someone you're giving innings to after this deadline, then you should think about whether you had a good deadline or not. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, Jeremy. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, they really like him, apparently. Yeah, I mean, that's nice. They've really <laughs> liked a lot of people over the years. It hasn't always worked out. Um, yeah, I think, you know, when you get past the Trevor Richards spot in the bullpen and that's, you know, I'm not even, I'm not saying that Trevor Richards is necessarily a guy that you trust a ton right now. Cause it seems like he strikes guys out and he gives up home runs, uh, and he's pretty reliable at both. But yeah. when you get past that spot, you got two other guys that sitting there and you don't feel good with either of those two guys. So if I'm them, yeah, you want to target the one guy who's maybe back end and maybe there isn't another guy just because of the scarcity of the market, but Maybe you just find another person that you feel comfortable with just being part of that depth, being part of the back end of the bullpen. Because, yeah, I just, I just don't think you want to go forward with Banda and, you know, Castillo as guys who are taking up roster spots. Like we talked previously about, you know, what about Collins and Zimmer and those guys taking up roster spots and what are they giving you? Like they're not giving you a lot. Uh, and I think it's the same at the back end of the bullpen. Like the guys there are people that you, you know, I know Castillo can give you length, but there's just not a lot of trust there and nor should there be based on the track records. And yeah, I think, you know, at this time next week, I would be surprised if, if at least, if both of those guys have big league jobs, I think that something will have had to have gone wrong. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, this is, I don't think, yeah, I think, I don't think it's a, 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 you know, if we can do it kind of thing, I think it's a necessity. I don't, uh, and I know that they'd like to talk about, you know, there's different shapes and this, we've heard this in the past, like, okay, well, we'll just, we'll just hit people into oblivion and the bullpen won't matter as much. And, you know, maybe there's not a lot of spots you can stick a bat into at this point. Um, and yeah, it just, and I, I think, and also just thinking about, you know, where their playoff odds are, the likelihood that they're going to be in a playoff series at least once in October. Um, just finding, finding that, as uh, as our, our friend of the show, Drew, would say, that big dick donkey would be incredibly, incredibly useful to this team. I mean, they have to do it. They have to. Yeah. So Tuesday is going to be a big donkey watch for all <laughs> uh, all Blue Jays fans in the Blue Jays front office. We're back perfect- to Sunday, though, too, right? Yeah. That's a perfect place to leave it uh, for today, I think. I, I always like to leave it on the donkeys where, wherever possible. Um, we appreciate you guys tuning in, uh, whether you're doing it live or you're doing it later. Reviews, ratings, all that good stuff. We will see you again later this week and then again on the trade deadline. One small note, a little programming note, little plug for me. Uh, Me and friend of the 
friend of the show, Zoobs, are actually starting up a new podcast, not a Blue Jays podcast necessarily like this one, an MLB one. We're reviving the Pitch Docs podcast. First episode should be coming out tomorrow. Our guest is Eno Saris, who's a great baseball mind. And I think it's going to be a fun sort of side project. So if you guys want to check that out, uh, you can I don't know, look for me or Zoobs on Twitter. I'm sure we'll be tweeting it out and it'll go out on various channels, but that's something to keep an eye on. Awesome stuff. That sounds great. And thank you, everybody. Uh, we'll be back Sunday and then uh, again Tuesday after the deadline. Good night.